Hey, welcome back to Don and Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, boy, it's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded a show. How have you been, my friend? It is a Canadian Thanksgiving today. So we're recording this on October 11th and uh, publishing a little later. And yeah, so it's Thanksgiving right now. Something in the back of my mind was must have been thinking about it because I was thinking, you know, I'd really like to brine a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we did that yesterday. We did had the girls over and uh, and their and their accoutrement. You know, not too big of a meal, but yeah, right. turkey stuffing, gravy, all the good stuff. That's so, cool. That's yeah, very good. That's excellent. Very enjoyable. Yeah, that's a the, the the autumn harvest. You know, feast is a is a great holiday here in America too. It's it's really one of the original holidays. That yeah, we have no doubt and. You know, of course, it has a great lineage, although getting it declared as a holiday was a, a different coin uh, of term. Yeah. He's very proud of the fact that we did Thanksgiving before the Americans. You know, our first Thanksgiving was like 1578. Right. And uh, in yours was in the whole the 1600s, like so much later. There must have been a Canadian in, among the bunch who said, you I, know. Yeah, but although the turkeys came from America. So yeah. So, you know, those those original Thanksgivings, I suspect, did not have a whole lot of turkey involved. It was later that they, the turkey made its way north. And you know, those turkeys are everywhere on Twitter now. So you can, <laughs> if, yeah. if you Please miss them. them accounts, make them stop. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, let's, That's uh, what I got. let's kick it off right with better know a framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? I love when my worlds collide, uh, and mm-hmm. I actually have something to offer up myself for Better Know Framework. Oh, nice. This is episode 1762, if you can believe that. So if you go to 1762.pwop.me, that's P-W-O-P dot M-E, uh, this is a blog post that I did just yesterday. Hmm which is using an Azure VM to build and test MAUI apps. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you're just running it up in Azure rather than putting it on your machine at all. Right. And and if you think about it for a minute, um, the reason that it hasn't been done before, well, by me anyway, is I can never get like the emulators to work in an Azure VM. It seems right. like you have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops. Tried installing Hyper-V, that didn't work. And then I tried a VM that has the hardware acceleration and that didn't work and i was just like you know i really want to use my device so i found a site and a and a tool that you can use to on in the vm and on your side to uh pass through a local usb device to your vm as if it was plugged in directly and that's not an easy thing to do. So you need both a server-side component and a client-side component. And um, the tool that I found, if you go to that blog post, it's linked in there. It costs about 200 bucks a year. Like, they know they got something special, you know? Right, right. And But if you're serious about mobile development and you want to work, you know, from a hotel room and not have to drag your Xamarin rig around with you, for lack of a better word. Right. Uh, uh, this is a really, really good solution. Yeah, for so for doing talks and things. Hey, how is Maui? Knowing it's been pushed out of the .NET ship in November, and it's gonna they're gonna push it in the next year, according to VP Hunter's mm-hmm. uh, blog post. How is the preview? Like you're clearly working in it. Is it is it 
do you, is it rough? Do you crash? Do you find it is just missing features? Or what's it like? Well, the only problems that I've had so far are what prompted me to go to a VM in the first place, which is right. in the latest Visual Studio 2022 preview, which came out in September, they're recommending that you uninstall any previous preview of anything. And apparently they're right. right, because I did that, and I tried installing it on my desktop machine, and it didn't work. And I got I weird errors that, you know, those unexplained Xamarin errors that everybody's very familiar with, you know, like... From the old days. From the old yeah. days. But weirder than that, like, could not run something because of some reason that you have no idea, and you have no idea yeah. where it is or where to fix Good it. Good luck. You're in DLL hell, you know, 21st century edition. Exactly. So that's yeah. what prompted me to create a brand new VM, a greenfield so solution, pristine. Yeah. And it only took me a little bit of time, an hour or so, to get everything up and running in the VM. Yeah. And with that system, it works really surprisingly well. Now, I really didn't get beyond Hello World, but it works. One thing that's really cool about it, and I don't want to steal all the time here, but one thing that's really cool about the latest Visual Studio templates and the workload is that it, there's one project and you have the platforms as a subfolder and iOS is in there and Mac Catalyst is in there, but you don't have to have a Mac. Like you don't have to remove those from your project if you don't have a Mac. Like it, it basically lets you pick the runtime that you want and then pick the device you want to go to. And that's what builds and that's what runs and everything else doesn't, doesn't matter. Right. So that's really cool, and I like that. So in my demo, and I did this for the .NET show also, so if you go to the .NET show.com, uh, episode 11, you can watch uh, me doing everything that I did to achieve that goal from scratch, from creating the VM. So there's the blog post, and the blog post also has a link to that, uh, that .NET show. So there you go. I, cool. I'm liking nice it. Nice one. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah liking no it. kidding. That's exciting. And I chose to build a Maui Blazor app instead of a Maui app that uses XAML. You can just choose which one you want. Yeah, it's just an option, which is interesting all by itself, right? It just talks to what the future looks like. Yeah. Or the way you want to work. And what's cool is that, you know, the Maui app, the standard one, looks like your standard Hello Xamarin Forms. But the Blazor one uses the Blazor demo that comes with the regular template for Blazor. It's the same code. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Definitely so there's still many, over. yeah, there's still many stones to unturn, you know, to turn over and look under the rocks and see what's going on. But I'm going to be doing that on a regular basis on the .NET show. So awesome. There, there you go. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. Who's talking uh, to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a of show 1760, the one we just did with Thomas Huber. When we were talking about Uno. And uh, all the good stuff that was going on in there it was great conversation. And and our friend Martin Range, who we've talked to before, but mm -hmm. I believe Swedish, because you know we're having a Swedish conversation today. Yeah, uh, says uh, so. What I've been considering is to write my desktop apps as Blazor server apps. My .NET applications host a Blazor server app. My application starts a native window, and in that I host a Chromium browser. I think Maui's a bit big to host as a web view, and I just don't see the point of the Blazor WASM in a desktop app. Yeah. You know, he's thinking about a, sort of the non-Uno way to go about things. Mm -hmm. But then he made another comment as well. He said, but unironically, I'm using GUI.CS, which is otherwise known as Terminal.GUI on NuGet for my cross-platform GUI. 
And Thomas responded to that saying, if that works for you, that's awesome. You know, the GUI CS was actually a project from Miguel Diacaza. That's cool. Full loop back, right? The, you know, the guy from Xamarin now at Microsoft and so forth. Uh, and he, and if you look in Git, in GitHub under Miguel's own personal repositories, you'll see it there. So, you know, there is a bun, we're talking about Maui and talking about Uno and talking about this large issue of mm. we're just expected to build clients that work across all these platforms now. Right. Like that's table stakes. And it's not a trivial problem. It's certainly not a solved problem. And so I really appreciate Martin presenting us with another way of thinking about it. You know, you know, working with Blazor. Like here you are using Blazor code inside of Maui and he's, you know, going, ah, I think I'll just go Blazor this way and use uh, terminal.gui as, uh, as my client side. What's taking so long? My brother could do this in Excel. <laughs> yeah. Access. <laughs> yeah, it was an access. access. Dang it. Yeah. Well, at least you didn't say paradox. That's something. Oh, man. Hey, Martin, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there as well. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. And don't worry about setting up a VM. Just send it. It's okay. You don't need to, it's okay. you don't need to do that. Yeah, it's okay. Virtualized tweets. What's that about? I don't know, but they're coming. I know they're coming. Any way we can add more layers to something that already works is is in you know in a, in what is it inevitable All the abstractions inevitable yes all right let's bring on our guest we are very excited to have Ricard Hansen who is founder and CEO of Weavy which we're going to talk about also a collaboration geek and a a fellow Swede I should say living the dream in Silicon Beach. Silicon Beach is that like Venice Beach, the the Greater Venice area? Yeah, yeah, Silicon Beach. You know, today I would say if you ask any anyone in the scene in LA, they will hate that phrase, oh. like in the eighties, uh, right. because also like you know it was actually I think it was based it was created already in San Diego, or whatever, like and then kind of entered into LA uh, only to basically you know make people up in Silicon Valley upset. Yeah, right. They had the opposite, you know, effect, and they say like, "Oh, that's just a poor man's term of Silicon Valley doing Silicon well, Beach." Yeah, it it it, uh, it occurs to me though that you know Silicon Valley has to have their silicon shipped in, whereas Silicon Beach, you're walking on it. Exactly, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. and, well, yeah. and more so not in like Venice Beach, right? To be honest, like it's a little bit more east and west mm. uh, if you look at the LA map. Uh, but yeah, so that's interesting in that in that sense. So what is, you know, this startup culture exists everywhere, right? Like I've come to, I, uh, Steve Forte and I deliberately went to Yakutia in Russia in the middle of nowhere, by the way, in wintertime, because we're idiots, uh, to find a really great startup culture there. But it was that combination of, uh, finance, government, universities, uh, a development culture, you know, they, all the pieces were there and they were making interesting software. Like it was a cool thing to experience. Like the Silicon Valley was really called the Silicon Valley because that's where they were learning to purify silicon to make an integrated circuit. By the way, left a whole lot of toxic stuff in the ground. I don't know that I'd be all that proud of that. Like, <laughs> true. That, that was, well, you wouldn't have a job I, without silicon. So it's true. Highly organized true. silicon as well. We wouldn't be able to do what we're doing right now, right? But so no, when, when I moved to LA in 2014, seven years ago, right, this, the startup scene or whatever you want to call it didn't really exist back then. 
and then the Silicon Beach kind of phrase was like revived or relived, like you know, re uh, brought back to life again. And then all of a sudden, everyone was so angry about it because there's more to the beach, right? Uh, basically, highways or freeways is what LA is most you know, famous well, for. Right. What we need is what we need between Silicon Beach and Silicon Valley is more collaboration. You know, if we only had a tool for collaboration that we could use between these two uh, areas, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> the segue. That's what that is. I think that's what he's trying to do there. Not the weird two-wheeled thing. Not that kind of segue. That's the wrong segue. Yeah. yeah no, so maybe we need Weavy. He died. But they're okay. <laughs> so maybe we need Weavy. What's that? Weavy, it's an uh, Weavy is like the elevator pitch. It's like it's in app. Um, in, it's in app SDK. Okay, can we talk to Brandon? Yeah, here or what's his name? Okay. yeah. What is that? Uh, it's an in app collaboration collaboration SDK and API. So, and essentially, we enable any app to add collaboration features to whatever they're doing. Like if it's a CRM, ERP, or BI, for example. Now, when you that say is. app, what kind of app? Yeah, it can be. If we're going to talk about it, like apps people know about like QuickBooks maybe or HubSpot or Marketo or Word or Excel or PowerPoint. Imagine ab actually having the app in front of you, having like an immersive collaboration experience with your peers. Uh, and, you know, and we're delivering that technology to create that immersive experience with any app. So are these, when you say any app, I guess what I'm getting at is, are you talking about desktop apps, web apps, mobile apps, all the above? All of the above. Wow. I like that. Why not? Yeah, me too. Yeah, why not? So, how do you integrate exactly? Like you're you're talking about other commercial software here. I, I presume I have to have access to the source code before I can add an API to it. Correct. So, like you know, as I said, like we're selling to other app developers. So we're never sending to like selling to an enterprise or end user, right, or whatever right. you want to call it. So, white label into an app. And more mm -hmm. so than ever, like you know, every app developer is looking, you know, into how can I make, you know, that edge to be better than my competitor? Right. You know, you can only make your core offering that much better. So to take that leap to be way better, you have to change the whole user experience. And usually what that entitles is, you know, adding productivity features, for example, you know, in-app chat or mentions or whatever. Yeah. So you can, you know, stay within that object or context you're working in. And that's, that's, that's the gist of it. So it's fortuitous that this came around because I was just talking to a customer of mine who said, you know, I think we want to add a little uh, a chat in our application. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? You know, real-time chat. Oh, so you basically want Slack in your application. And, and we figured out that that's what he wanted. And, and, and I think, okay, let's talk this through. Do you want to persist those conversations so people can go back and search them? Well, well, yeah. Do you want to be able to attach things? Well, sure. Okay, so really, not, you're not talking about chat. You're talking about a, a data store. You're talking about an application that people are going to use that as where their ideas are. And they're going to want to find them and share them and collaborate and all this stuff. Now you're talking like a big project here. You, you, it's not just like having a little chat window. 100%. Exactly like that because you know it sounds simple, right? Like let's just create a right. bit, you know, a chat. But it's yeah. a whole user experience by the end of the day. And you know, if you want to go down that within course rabbit hole and create that experience, that you know, that's going to be a challenge. It's like, a big challenge. Yeah, I basically said no. Don't use it. Don't. <laughs> I said use Slack. 
Just just use Slack on the side. It's that easy. But that's the thing, right? The trend is like, you know, moving, you know, like I've been in the collaboration space since 2008 in some mm. capacity, like creating social internets. I've been advising companies to be more social and more sharing within enterprises and whatnot. Mm. I tried to compete with SharePoint and Jammer. Obviously, I lost. And then like, you know, but it goes in waves. And then Slack came around, was the coolest kid on the block. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it goes in waves. But now like right. there, that wave is totally clinging off, right? That ripple, like tide is gone. And like acquired by the big bad boy Salesforce or whatever you want to call it. So it's not right. as much fun anymore. And then what the trend is right now, if you look at any big player, player, everyone is looking into like, how can I add within quotes like mentions into my app? How can I mention, you know, Richard in this conversation so I can mm. pull him into this conversation? And then, you know, Slack or whatever doesn't do it. So that's, you know, clearly a trend in the app industry and literally obviously fueled by what's going on in the world right now. Like when everyone is working from home, we only, you know, meet then and there. And then as you, you mentioned yourself, uh, you call it like the contextualization. Mm. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it, you're talking about collaborating. You're not talking about chatting and collaborating is a complicated concept. Yeah. Do, do you have that synopsis? Like what does it mean to collaborate? Like uh, how do you know when you're doing it? No, not really, because we we always say like communication, chit chatting is like that's like such you know commodity, bread and butter. Everyone should have it, and like mm-hmm. it goes without saying. When collaboration actually happens, is when you have something in front of you, and you like it, you dislike it, or you don't care, or like any emotion you have, and you want to pull people into that conversation, and you mm-hmm. contextually talk about that object being a data point in a BI, for example, whatever mm-hmm. that might be. Then all of a sudden, that's collaboration, right? Anything in right. between is chit chat. Let's you know grab a lunch. You know what did you do last night or whatever. And obviously you need that too. But the, you know the real twist or whatever you want to call it is like when you have the contextual collaboration experience. I think the change comes once you get to the point where you want to persist those conversations, because if they're just fleeting, yeah, that's easy. I mean nobody's expecting that stuff to stick around, so they don't use it for. I mean, think about how you use email now. I use email as my central database for everything I ever thought, spoke of, did, sent, every digital asset I ever made. Like, if I can't find it, I go to Gmail and I find it. And people will come to rely on a data store of thoughts and ideas and things that you said as that, as a repository of ideas that they need to go back to. And that just opens up this whole can of worms of features that they're going to expect. Yeah, because imagine that, like, again, like the contextual experience, as you said, persistency, it's like if I see some data that I don't like and I fire up a conversation in Slack and we figure it out and we make a better outcome, and then three months later, where is that conversation? And if I'm new to the this data, I won't find that conversation anywhere because it's gone. Mm. While if you think it's like collaboration, contextually, persistency, means I can go to that data point and I see, oh, three months ago, these four people talked about it right. and they concluded this and that's that's good. And then I can kind of tag along in that conversation that happened three months ago. Right. And that's right. a major difference, like in terms of just chit-chatting and having Slack on your side. or Fire institutional memory is what that is. Fire the yeah, secretary. Right. We don't need no notes. We don't need exactly. no <laughs> well, minutes. The notes are fine. The question is, can you search the notes? Yeah, yeah. Right? Like it, if it's written down in somebody's notebook, it never it isn't and for anybody other than the person who wrote it down. Like that to me is the biggest thing is like how do I find mm. where that decision was made? How was it made in public? Yep. Exactly. And the next level is like in what context? Right. right. Yeah. 
we in the old strange loop days we we started using irc for all the things this is in the you know even before 2010 and they deploying a piece of software deploying the latest version of strange loop via irc a we were remote so you had to chat as you're going through the process but the best thing was bringing the non-technical people in to watch a deployment just watch the kind of conversations and the challenges of diagnosing mistakes like where where there's a problem and how all the steps you do to find that thing it's easy to fix once you find it finding it was the hard part but then had that permanent transcript of this is how we did that so there was a witness part and there was that institutional knowledge part that I thought was insanely valuable. Exactly. You were creating documentation in real time. Yeah. Mm. Of what actually happened and also how long stuff actually took, you know, to, to, to figure it out. Because every time you summarize it, you summarized it in a minute. The fact that it took an hour to do that diagnostic and the it's agony of that, like that was really the great thing about the transcripts was the agony was preserved. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking th yes. through the features and I see things that I expect to see like in-app chat and activity feeds are interesting, uh, contextual collaboration. And I think that's what you were getting at before and adding comments and starting threads within each feed and then secure file sharing. Yeah, I expect that. And integration, all the leading file sharing services, Dropbox, Google Drive, that's all cool. And then I see enable your users to do video calls directly in your app. Huh? Wow. Yeah. That's a cool feature. Yeah. But it's still done through integrations, right? So this is interesting. We're just going to talk about product development. Before COVID hit, we were just planning to create our own video feature because people who can remember a successful Skype call before COVID, right? No one. Skype <laughs> always failed. And Skype was the only thing people were thinking about as soon as you're going to do a video call, right? Right. And we were starting using Zoom way before Zoom was popular and anything. And, and the, the only reason we did that is because it worked. Every time we did it, it worked. And yeah. then, like, all of a sudden, everyone is remote and everyone is doing video calls, including my dad, who is, like, retired and everything. He knows how to manage, you know, both teams and Zoom, which is unheard of. So then we just went down the road, uh, you know, the avenue of, okay, let's just do integration, but making sure it's super easy, you know, it's contextual. Again, I can fire up a Zoom video call around the data point. I can have that meeting being recorded and attached to that data point mm. through our technology, for example. So there's no reason, again, like, you know, we are telling our app developers or our customers to, you don't have to reinvent the wheel and create a chat or a feeds feature. We have done that. Same way we are saying we're not going to reinvent video calls because someone else is doing that way better. Mm. And now everyone is using it anyways. Everyone has it installed. Right. They're used to like how to configure it and whatnot. So we just piggyback right in that. But basically the, the, the domino effect is like, okay, chit chat and whatnot, feeds and so on and so forth. And in, in the middle of that conversation, you can just fire up a video call through those services. Yeah, I like that. I mean, what we're doing now, of course, is we're using Zoom, we're using Slack, and then sometimes people text you and then... Other times you get emails and stuff, and everything comes at you all at once from all these places. Um, I want to talk about security a little bit because one of the reasons why people liked Zoom so well was because it was frictionless. And what made it frictionless also made it insecure. And so it turned out that after, you know, they got a hard lesson in this when people were bombing, uh, and by bombing, I mean like jumping into. Uh, school conversations and showing things that kids shouldn't be seeing and all that stuff. And uh, so then they made the waiting room and the password protection and all that stuff. But, 
but it, it started out as, and one of the reasons it was so successful is because it was so easy to set up. And um, I'm wondering what the security load is for you guys uh, when you're dealing with apps like Zoom and other things. So like when, when you use third-party integrations by the end of the day, it's always up to them, right? And it's always right. up to the end user to you know, agree with the terms and whatnot. Mm. But when it comes to like how we treat data, when we do like our secure file sharing piece, right? We do have like, we can natively work with files and document collaboration and remote editing and whatnot. You can literally have your own Dropbox, what's within like, so to speak, the same Dropbox kind of experience, but within your app in your control completely. But it is with your Dropbox account. No, yeah, exactly. You can yeah. integrate with Dropbox, but we basically also replicated Dropbox as a feature. Oh, I see. And let's say I want to have a Dropbox experience within within my app with no dependency of Dropbox, and we created you. basically a replica of that, right? Okay. But so all that data obviously then comes like you know, again with everything happening with Zoom, for example, data integrity, privacy, security, all that stuff was you know became super current, and we're addressing that you know from our point of view. So we are. Our SDK API is very different. It's distributable. So we're not just like a cloud in the, you know, our service in the cloud anyone can just jack into. You you set up your own API and SDK and your own infrastructure side by side with the app, which has a huge amount of benefits as in, we already mentioned security, but also performance. There is no latency. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no round trips to a server wherever you want. And then you get an answer back and then you have to do another call and whatnot. But this means also because the the like how you view security has kind of broadened, like because like you now you ask like what is happening to data and hibernation? Like when you when you use a service, you usually don't know what happens when it's hibernation. Right. And what happens when it's kicked alive and then transit within their data center, outside the data center, into the data center again, whatnot. And that has become like people are way more aware of that nowadays in terms of just making sure and everything HIPAA and GDPR and whatnot as well. But but just that alone. Uh, is you know uh, everyone is way more aware of that. Yeah, I'm way more sensitive to it as, as yeah. well. Uh, but it does sound like if it's if you're if this API is running inside of your app, then ultimately you're responsible for the security context. It's, Correct. It's up. It's the security of your app. But you have can choose to use the cloud or not. No, we only deliver it as you know distributable. So we're never a part okay. of, uh, of their API or their app as a cloud service. And so, what about firewall problems then? Uh, they, they will have the same issues if they would, you know, with the rest of the app, so to speak. So, right, we're we're just like side by side aligned with their app. So, you, like whatever they configured, we would just fly under the radar or fly side by side, so to speak. Yeah. I, I mean, real-time communication is a very different creature from a client-server posting stuff into a database. So it's a, it, I'm sure they're going to have some issues. It's just you've got to deal with them. Uh, yeah. And I'm not a, I don't mind using the cloud for a proxy just to connect, make connections. And after that, you, st you don't go through the cloud. Yeah, that's true, right? Yeah, you can do that. But like literally in this case, like the proxies, again, within your own infrastructure, you might still yeah. need a proxy, right? But the most common, I would say, configuration is literally to have, if you're running your stuff in AWS, you just plunk Weavy into that, you know, right. uh, account you have in AWS, mm. and off you go. Like it's all microservices, yeah. anyways, right? It's nice you're living in that context, anyway. So that's yeah. that is your security. Correct. And and the access. Uh, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. 
This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Spot by NetApp. Spot provides a comprehensive suite of cloud ops tools that makes it easy to deliver continuously optimized and reliable infrastructure at the lowest possible cost while removing a lot of the manual and time-consuming tasks out of managing cloud infrastructure at scale. Imagine automating your infrastructure to proactively meet the needs of your applications as opposed to reacting to the constantly changing needs of your applications and developers. Imagine leveraging the latest in machine learning and automation to scale your infrastructure using the most efficient mix of instances and pricing models, eliminating the risks of over-provisioning and expensive lock-in. Imagine running reliable applications, cutting cloud costs significantly, and making life easier for DevOps teams so they can focus on faster deployments, reliability, and a seamless user experience. From cost management to infrastructure automation in CD to running serverless Spark on Kubernetes, Spot ensures you maximize your cloud investment. The end result is simply more cloud at less cost. Discover how the most innovative companies, from cloud-native growth machines to forward-thinking enterprises, are automating, simplifying, and optimizing their cloud infrastructure with Spot by NetApp. Check them out at spot.io slash rocks. That's spot.io slash R-O-C-K-S, where you can find more information, request a demo, or give it a try by starting a free trial. Do you spend too much effort on handling content in your project? Stop focusing on boring tasks and get back to code. Content by Kentico is a cloud-based headless CMS that comes with fast, world-class API. You can consume it in your .NET and Blazor apps through the .NET Core Delivery SDK. When you're building your application, you can query for content using Fluent API, which makes it easy to filter and order content items and streamline the data you transfer through the wire. What makes content truly unique is the ease of doing business with. You can ask anything 24-7 directly in the app, get a dedicated customer success manager, or an expert consultant if you need an extra hand. Content by Kentico comes with 17 years of experience in content management, ISO, and SOC2 Type 2 certifications, and is ready to handle all content tasks for you, so you can do what you enjoy. Put on headphones and code. See more at content.ai slash developers. That's K-O-N-T-E-N-T dot A-I slash developers. And try it out. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's my friend Carl Franklin. Yo. And we've been chatting with Rickard from Weavy a bit about, you know, putting collaboration into your own app. And I'm still sort of considering, like, if I'm running Slack and I can screen share for us to collaborate over something like what do I get for integrating and for you know going to that additional effort? What's the new power? So it's twofold. Like there's always two things you have to consider as an app developer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing is to consider yourself and being selfish. And the other one, like I want to create a better user experience. If we start right. in the bucket of like being selfish, it's like um, if people are using my features and collaborating within my app and the data is actually ending up in my app and so on and so forth, obviously are going to have a higher retention because there's a bigger chance or less of a risk of people leaving my app or whatever. And right. also I'm not giving away my eyeballs to Slack or whatever. Uh, yeah. So that's like the selfish approach. Like, okay, if I can create an experience that ties them even tighter to my app, that's good for me, right? But then the user, what's the benefit there? The benefit, as we talked about already, is that you know, you will increase your productivity because you don't have to bounce around in three, four different apps to find 
the conversation I had three weeks ago about this data point because it's just in front of you in that app. So you will actually create like a better user experience for your user, less frustration, whatnot. And literally, like, it's also driven again, like people just are frustrated by the fact that they can't just mention people in an app, for example. Yeah. Why right. can't I just bring this person into the conversation? And, and it doesn't matter, like whatever you're using outside that will never fix that problem, so to speak. So that's kind of the driving forces. And that's why more and more people are like, like app developers looking into it than all the big ones are doing it already. But so we're kind of trying to level the field by having an you know, an easy to, you know, get going API and SDK. It's not going to cost you the GDP of a country like buying Slack or acquiring Slack. If you can actually get up and running and you can compete on, you know, on the same term. If I have a CRM app, I can on a collaboration level compete on the same terms with Salesforce. That's what right. we do. Right? Yeah, I know. That's very powerful. And I was thinking about, you know, Azure communication services and thinking, which is, I'm supposed to be a set of APIs. I mean, that's the old Skype for business APIs. Mm. Jeez, and I say it out loud, that's not good. Remember, it's not Skype. It's not good for your business. <laughs> now, that's a correct slogan. Yeah. But but now they've renamed it Azure Communication Services. But I guess it's all cloud-based then, if it's right, if it's got the Azure attached to it. Yeah, it, it's correct. Uh, yeah. It's cloud-based. And usually those services are usually central. Like it's not in your isolated infrastructure or your specific app service account. Right. That's a big difference. Can we, I mean, now I'm thinking about as a developer, how do I make this contextual collaboration experience? Like beyond the whiteboarding effect of you can just see my screen, like really collaborate over work, not just chat. Yeah. So as I mentioned, like as I mentioned mentions, so like I said, like, you know, if you're looking at a object in any app, like they say, I'm in a CRM and I see a customer card in front of me and I want to talk to my peers about that particular customer, what we are seeing and what's most popular to, you know, approach is to do like an activity feed, like a mention, like a right. Facebook, LinkedIn feed, like at Lydia, can you help me with this customer at Richard? Like what was said at the last meeting and so on and so forth. And then you have thread a conversation around that. You can attach files to that and so on and so forth. Then you have collaboration in real time around, uh, as again, you know, an object. So you can see everything is layered, like, like an onion has right. layers, app, top layer, and then you go down and then I can go into the core. And like the further up I go, I can see all the chit chat and so on and so forth, but then I can filter it down to an object. And that's also, you know, again, the difference between chit chatting in a, you know, third party app or, or like something like that. It's not layers. It's just right. one stream of messages and 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 so then it's that you know you, you've hit on the whole mention aspect bringing somebody in for that moment to facilitate that also means that i can do that like somehow we have all the identities of visible like i'm thinking about my application like do we know everyone like where where is that catalog of people so that when i go at lydia uh you know it, it does something it knows who i who i mean yeah no, so the thing is, like, Weebly is, you know, designed from the, you know, from the core to just be a part of your app. If you're building an app, mm -hmm. Weebly is just a core, like, a part of that. So you tell us what to do, who is allowed to see right. this, who are you allowed to mention, and so, so forth. So we don't maintain anything. We just have, yeah. you know. You're not going to you know, reinvent any of this. You don't want to run a catalog. But it does mean I, yeah. I better have one. And by the way, I don't want to invent a catalog either. I should probably be leaning on whatever existing infrastructure we have for that stuff. Exactly. You have open OAuth or you use Google or whatever. And then you're living in Microsoft land. So you're probably using Active Directory under the hood somewhere. So you're sad. 
Oh, wait, did I say that out loud? That's, that's not right. <laughs> the, the IT guy in me is, sho- is showing right, right there. The Azure AD. Now we yeah. have a, a lot of clients who's actually relying on that. So it works. Yeah, no, it's, it's normal. And it's, you know, it's because you were originally using Active Directory and you've migrated the clouds. Now you have Azure AD, but. Goodness knows you don't want another catalog of people. You, you want one. Yeah. So we just, uh, you know, we, we're just like accommodating your needs and whatnot. We're not a user management, not another directory. If you mm. know. Yeah. We're just facilitating yeah. the feature, so to speak. Yeah. And and really, you've got to write the code to access the catalog. Uh, but then I must, I have to surf it. So there must be an API call that when you're typing in something like with an at symbol, this is a this is a, a mention. So go go poke the right uh, APIs to go find that person and, and match it up. Mm. Exactly, you can do that in real time, or you do like a sync in the background, or you do it the other way around. Like there's, you can do it like bi-directional, one-directional, whatnot. It's basically down to you know, how you, as an app developer, you as an engineer want to design it. Well, and, and part of me is just thinking like on the service is like this is a pretty simple thing to implement. I just want chat. I mean, how hard could it be? But the identity pieces, the integrate, you know, all these things like they add up and communication across networks. Like there is some parts to doing a good job here. Yeah. Imagine any project you do, like you think exactly like that. How hard can it be? And then you kind of build something. The in great 90 lie. Days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you build something, let's say like it looks kind of good in 90 days, let's say three months. And then it's going to take you six months to actually make it work for real. Yeah. But it's always that, you know, like building a house. How hard can it be? It's going to be done in 90 days. And then three years later, it's still not done. Yeah. So what is done exactly? Right. In production work. I've learned to loathe that. Okay. (laughs) Like having built a couple of houses, it's like, is your house done? I don't know what done means. Am I living in it? Yes. Right. Are there ugly bits? Also, yes. That's true. Like, you know, in, in the, in our role, we will call like an MVP, like a minimal viable product. Can I right, live in the house? Right. That's the MVP, right? Yeah. yeah that's yeah. <laughs> the, well, the, the walls are not painted, but I can live there. But that brings me to the pricing page, which says there's uh, a, a, a free layer that's complete, feature complete and forever. And I'm looking at it and I, I mean, you have some optional things here, which I'm, you know, it doesn't, seem like a lot of people will use but um te- you want to talk about the free layer and what's the difference between the other layers so we li- recently just launched a f- freemium uh and the freemium right. is that the chat feature like adding in-app chat which everyone thinks it needs to f- has to do it's not yeah. but we decided to you know give it that away for free because we think that's like, as I said, it's a commodity, it's bread and butter. There's no innovation in chat per se. It just needs to be in that app you're using, we think. So we're just giving that away for free. Uh, also based on like our experience, like every customer we work with, all the app developers using that technology, the true value comes in again, like it's, it's like a broken record almost, but it comes in when it's contextual collaboration. So right. chit chat is, you know, we need it. And when, when are we creating value? Collaboration. So then we're thinking to ourselves, like, let's just like, you know, making sure again to level the play field and give away the in-app chat free. And then we decided to also give it away for free for reals. Like, it's not like limited in terms of usage. There's no limitations in terms of features. There's no like Weavy logo slapped on it. Like you're using this because it's Weavy, like a, like a water stamp or something like that. It's right. completely, it's completely like utterly super free. 
Uh, and then you mm. just go create whatever you want. And then the other layers is like a, we mentioned the feature wise, like feeds and file sharing are those more collaboration pieces where you can actually create like a real and a really good collaboration experience within your app. And those are layered like, you know, then you subscribe to those features individually. Well, again, you get back to why would I want to put these tools into my application unless to interact with my application? Right. If it's just chit chat, you can do that in another box. I want this in my app because my app has a context and collaboration that's important. Exactly. And also, like, you know, features aside, if you talk to any product manager and what keeps them up at night is retention, user engagement, churn, you know, what are our competitors doing? How can we, you know, keep them, you know, arm's way? And, and anything that keeps the user's eyeballs in your app for longer, you know, mm-hmm. you know, longer sessions and whatnot is something that definitely going to increase your, you know, user engagement and reduce your churn. And True basically, that. like, you know, there's math saying, like, if you, if you do no sales next year, but you, you, you do better with your churn, you reduce your churn, your profit will still go up with no sales. Right. Uh, no new so sales th- anyway. Yeah, no new sense, exactly. So the key is like, you know, that's like the driving force. It's mm. like, how can I keep the eyeballs within my app being chat mm-hmm. or being anything else, right? And, but when the true value comes, like in terms of both, we talked about productivity, right? For the end user yeah. is when you have that contextual collaboration, the persistence. Yeah. And that's what the activity feeds do. Yeah. Yeah. And file, like a file sharing piece. Yeah. And file sharing. Then all of then all of a sudden you have this great mix of like, you know, sharing files, document collaboration, you can mention people and you can do that around any object within your app. And then all of a sudden you have a great throughout experience. Right. Yeah. But with the free layer, you still have chat history. You have rooms and channels. You have video sharing. Oh, no. You know, the the old first hit is free. Like if you can get through that integration and make that work and provide yeah. some value you'll get to a place where you'll want to do more. Like what better measure is that the users are asking you to, to do more with that feature. Yep. Yeah. That's a win. It's also a good time to open the wallet. Yeah. Yep. We like that. For model. example, hundred percent. Well, it's a darn shame. We don't get along. I know. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm still really thinking hard about really collaborating over a work item. Like I want somebody else in there. Like I'm working on a proposal and I need that expert to come in and say, am I phrasing this right? Am I describing the feature correctly? Like things like that. That's yeah. pretty cool. Although that's kind of wordish. Like you've got to think about the right app. It's not probably not going to be a, just a typical forms over data app. It's something that's got some unique value to the organization where collaboration will make it more effective. Yes and no. Like we, like what we found out lately is like it's very agnostic. It's very across mm-hmm. all industries uh, where like collaboration will happen and wants to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's everything from medical to journals to business intelligence to CRM to ERP and so, so forth. Because, you know, by the end of the day, any app you use on a daily basis, uh, you are probably talking about what's going on in that app, hence yeah. collaboration. And then you solve it today by different means, Slack, Teams, Dropbox, whatnot. And the next evolution in this space, as I said, like everything moves in waves, the next evolution here is it just starts with in-app and ends with collaboration, in-app feeds, in-app files, in-app, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That's that's definitely the next wave when it comes to the whole collaboration space. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, and definitely, and this is a sovereign app mindset. I'm using Alan Cooper's terms from 100 million years ago, right? But of, yeah, this is the place that I live and do my work and all these other things are attached to it. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's very well put. So uh, we we were talking about cross-platform and you go everywhere, any kind of app, but I noticed that the main library on the client side is a JavaScript library. Exactly. So So how's that going to work in, say, a WPF app? You can, yeah, you can use that as well. Like so, so the, the, the we have a couple of different SDKs. Let's start with the client SDK, which is basically a vanilla JS library, uh, with, which then by the end of the day flies with anything. And then you can go down and be a little bit more specific and like say, so I want to build something in React, React Native, or Vue, or Angular. And then if you want to do a WPF, right, then you have to either do a web view, you know, that's one which way sucks. To, or you, I'm sorry, which sucks. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Or you connect to our REST API and you you use our engine and our power, and then you have to build your own UI like you always have to do anyways, right? All right. So you don't have UI in the picture. You're you're counting on the developers to build their own UI, but you, no, you do the we do have a drop of UI, but that's but it's for based web on web app, yeah web apps and mobile apps yeah. So it occurs to uh, me that my better know framework for today was kind of uh, interesting where where Weavy is concerned because. You can use the Blazor component model, which uses JavaScript, to build a MAUI application, which can go to Android, as uh, iOS, Mac desktop, Windows desktop. There you go. There you go. Problem you, solved. You took yourself problem solved. You, you, you made yourself a shortcut. And actually, when we were starting to build stuff in Blazor, we're pretty happy. I don't know if you notice our logo is like an HTML code, yeah, hash, yeah, or, you know. In Blazor, you can actually create that component. So we're actually living up to our logo. You're coding the logo like Weavy, and then you just put in the attributes. Very cool. And it's cool. kind of beautiful. It's very cool. It's beautiful. As a geek, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm Blazor, and I'm proud. <laughs> <laughs> How many do you think spells it with an E? Uh, yeah, probably. Conversation. Yeah. Too many. This is all good stuff. At this point in the interview, it's going so well that I have to ask questions like, where are the hidden gotchas? The hidden what? Gotchas. What are, what are people going to struggle with, with when implementing Weavy? Uh, the common is, like you already kind of touched it, it's like that directory, user directory, user permissions yeah. and whatnot. It's like, you know, it's super easy to get up and running because we built that drop-in UI. You get the feel for it. This is how it's going to work. And then you sit down and it's like, how is it going to really work? And then usually always permissions comes into play. It's like, oh, how is this going to oh, work? Yeah. And tokens and whatnot. So I think that is the biggest challenge for anyone when yeah. they start using Weavy is to figure that out. That's one thing. Another one is kind of, you also kind of touched it already, is use cases. Mm. So, you know, you're trying, you know, uh, over and over again, kind of visualize in your head what is contextual collaboration. Right. Like right. You, you kind of have to go down that route. Like, you know, okay, or like how does that look like on a customer card in, in reality? Yeah. Chat, like we're giving away for free. The reason is like that use case is super simple because you, any app you're using, like there's always like kind of global features. Like you can click help up to the right. You can click profile up to the right or something right. like that. And chat is the same. Like there's a chat app, you know, uh, maybe icon, and then you chat and it's all over the app. doesn't care about context. Use case solved. But then when you come into talking actual collaboration and contextual, then you have to think about, you know, use cases. And that is obviously like an obstacle or like a threshold you have to figure out. Uh, 
Uh, it makes but, you have to think harder about yeah. it, and that's, that's exactly. fine. But you're also you're also at a place where you're you're getting to real value. So it's not a you know, like I said, it's not a bad place to pull out the wallet either. But no. I, I also appreciate like the great thing about it, put in the chat is if the boss just said we need to collaborate more, make sure our apps have collaboration. It's like well, here's a free API and here's your chat. Thanks for playing. Exactly. Right? And then it's like how does this actually make a difference to your organization? And that you have to think about you know i noticed at weavy.com that if you down in the lower right hand corner there's a little round chat icon and i pull that you know i click that and a little chat box comes up and says hey welcome to weavy got any questions i'm happy to help what technology are you using to implement that (laughs) we're actually using hubspot as our marketing automation system and this is great you brought it up because like this is the thing like if you look at this industry uh, in, in its whole, most of these chat services are number one, cloud, cloud-driven, mm. API in the cloud. Number right. two, insanely B2C driven. Yeah. Like they, they deliver like a chat experience in a game. Uh, you know, Uber's like chat is driven by like Power by Twilio and whatnot. Right. Our thing is, you know, inherently, you know, designed for peer to peer communication, mm. sales rep to sales rep, sales manager to sales rep is not like a sales, right? Like a customer rep talking to a customer on a, e-commerce site for example. yeah right you can do it absolutely but it's not how we designed it yeah and mm-hmm. like you know you will have to do a little bit like i think there's other places like intercom in this case hubspot and whatnot uh, are doing that way better than us uh, but we are doing whatever like anyone else is trying to do in the b2b world we're the absolute best of doing that because it's designed for that mm, right so that's like you know you i think you you think you i think you wanted to say me to say it was weavy and then you caught me and then we still had a good answer. Yeah, it is a good answer. Although, <laughs> yeah. although I'm not really sure what hotspot is. Is that like a bot? Hubspot. Hubspot. If you, uh, hubspot is the market automation uh, platform. Marketo and Hubspot is the big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just built that in. So it's just easy. But I, I appreciate you. You've definitely got a lane you're running in. It's the B2B collaboration problem, yeah. not yeah. the B2C. There are yeah. other B2C solutions, and you respect that enough that you use a different B2C solution for your own website. Mm. Yeah. You could probably have crammed Weavy in there, but why? Why? It's not the right tool exactly. for your job. Uh, exactly. And everything is designed for a purpose, right? And, and we yeah. do have clients coming to us from competitors, within quotes, competitors, uh, try to kind of make it work in their world and then realize it didn't work and it became too expensive, too complicated and whatnot. And then they converted into Weavy, which was more designed for their use case, right? So is Matt a bot or a real person? He's a real person. He is. Matt Kim. Yes. He's a product expert at Weavy since, wow. uh, say, March. I hired, at least it's COVID story, like I hired a whole team just before COVID, basically. You, know, <laughs> out. I met you haven't met any in, of them. I met them once in real life. Okay. And we also nice. hired some people after that, which I never met in real life. It's cla- yeah, very classic COVID story. It's like, I've been working for this company for a year and a half. Haven't met anybody from the company in person yet. I don't have an you know entrance card like I don't have anything. I just have a desk yeah. at my home. That's all right. There isn't a building. All <laughs> right, so I just typed in, "Hi Matt, I'm interviewing Ricard for .NET Rocks podcast," and he says you're not a bot. If he's well, not let's a bot, see what he says. if he's a real bot, he will say, "Of course I'm not a bot, silly." Can I help you? Let me just go into HubSpot and put in that little you know response to saying, "I'm not a bot." Like I'm being not a bot. A bot. <laughs> If you ask okay. me if bots. That's awesome. Uh, we'll see bots are allowed to be bots. That's yeah, true. That's it's true. it's just so frustrating sometimes when you get a bot in a chat window and you don't know it. And then after a while, you're like, 
is this a bot? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Have I, I been I'm, botted? No. <laughs> been botted. I think it's more like better when it's like actual buttons you click in the chat, like, you know, whether you want to do this and that, then it's obviously yeah. it's bot. And then they transfer you to a representative. Yeah, get through the threshold. Yeah, 100%. The, the, what's, what's the click version of shouting agent repeatedly into the phone? Yeah. Or pressing 0000 or hash, 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 That's it. So so what's next for you? What's in your inbox? What are you working on? Uh, for us right now, it's like uh, since we just launched the freemium, right? So, and as I said, like, you know, a part of that is to kind of level the field and making, we want to, you know, ride that wave, the 50, 11th wave in collaboration uh, in the beginning, you know, before it breaks uh, by, you know, getting as many people using the in-app chat, obviously, because it's for free. Right. And also because you should do it, like you need it by the end of the day. If you want to be You are making your organization stronger. Yeah. And if you want to be competitive in your app, you know, you, you need to do it. Your competitor is going to do it, you know, rather sooner than later. So that's kind of like what we're focusing on right now to making sure like, you know, as a developer company, it's fun. Like you're selling to, you know, talking to engineers, you're talking to product managers, you have to make sure your documentation is, you know, tight. You have to have a vibrant community. We're launching hackathons all the time. So we have like a, like last time we had a hackathon, we had like, I think 1,400 people participating. We had 100 submissions. And the cool thing, nice. like you see people creating things you never thought of and they like tweaking mm-hmm. things you never saw, thought about before. That's super cool. So that's kind of the things we're focusing on right now. It's always fun when people use your tools in ways you never considered. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah, you know? yeah it's and the best. That's, that's the receipt you want to see in the end. Like, you know, just, you know. Yeah, yeah. And also like I, lo- I always tell my people, like I love to be wrong. Like I have to prove myself being wrong. And like, if you do, like we do now when it's free, you're going to see it being used in the way I didn't design it to be maybe yeah. or intended to be. Yeah. Kind of like when that's going to be really interesting. It's kind of like when your kid grows up and joins a circus. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. I didn't but expect I'm that. I'm deciding my kids to do. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm trying to make my kids do. actually being game designers. And, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> it didn't work out. They, like. My little one, he's at least designing games on the paper. Like he has, like I have an idea, and I said, like, yeah, write it down. And then I wake up the next morning, and I, I kid you not, I have a four-page text. So he's been writing a whole synopsis for a game on his phone before sleep. Wow! With all the level, level designs, and the bad guys, and the da 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 da. Love it. So you know he has like a game like producer in the making. Can I, can I ask Correct. you if, like if if he's like? Uh, asking you to buy he's trying to butter you up so you buy him a car or something like is he doing this to please you or is he really interested in it he's 12 years old so he's not there yet oh okay yeah so (laughs) So the only thing i can do to butter up is to get him another advice but i'm a geek right so like if he's like we should buy an you know ps5 of course we should buy an xbox of course (laughs) tickets to the (laughs) pentatonics or something Exactly. So we're going the other way. Like, so recently we just acquired a lot of retro consoles, like Nintendo 64, GameCube, ah. you know, the the original Super Nintendo Entertainment System and whatnot. Love so, it. yep, he has a whole room of all that. Fantastic. Well, that's really cool, uh, Ricard Hansen. It's been a pleasure talking to you. This is good stuff. I've already blasted it out while we were talking in my uh, influencer circle, and people are really surprised and are going to take it for a spin. So thanks. This is good stuff. Thank you, guys. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.
Net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.